Welcome to the Love Letters to Poe podcast. I'm Sarah Krokel-Smith, publisher and editor-in-chief, bringing you wonder and terror, romance and horror in this gothic fiction magazine. Each week, I'll be sharing a new gothic story or poem from the pages of Love Letters to Poe. You can find the original stories and poems, author interviews, your free copy of the magazine's inaugural issue, and much more at loveletterstopoe.com. Today's Gothic story is titled A Line of Crows by T.C. Grassman, read by M.C. Grassman. This story can be found in Volume 1, Issue 7 of Love Letters to Poe. I hope you enjoy this haunting tale. A Line of Crows by T.C. Grassman Crows are the harbingers of doom, my grandmother would say especially if one gets into the house. When the birds gather upon the line, their condemnation becomes clear. Woe to any who comes close to the marked one. Black eyes, feathers too, no color assigned but judgment. A murder of crows brings death, and she was right. When I was 10, the parlor window lay open to admit the cool breeze of late spring. A bird flew into the room, silent upon the almond-scented air from the purple heliotrope outside, and landed on top of the bust of some long-dead poet laureate. The crow, that majestic bird so regal, dressed in black, looked around the room as if holding court. Not a sound did he make, until grandmother came looking for me. As she bustled into the room, her taffeta skirts rustling, cawing in her high-pitched voice, cross at me for not being able to find me, I was there, in plain sight, just under the pie table. The bird responded in kind. Feathers ruffled, wings fluttered, the cry of agitation pierced through any semblance of misunderstanding. My grandmother shrieked and grabbed the fire poker from the hearth, brandishing it like a sword. She swung at the crow. He, that impressive beast, jumped into the air and took flight, cawing his way around the room. Grandmother screamed, ducked her head, and swung the poker wildly. I found it most amusing. The bird finally gave up his torment of her and flew out of the window with a final caca. My mother, as usual, came too late upon the scene to do much good. Grandmother laid the poker down and flung herself upon the pink cushioned chair, gasping for breath while my mother fixed her gaze upon me. Mother strode to the table and fair yanked me out from underneath it, her grip tight upon my arm. I felt her nails digging in and the slight rattle of my brain as she shook me. I hated her for that, amongst other things, and wished her dead. Two days later, I saw my wish come true. It was a small funeral, to be sure. Only family and one or two friends, of my father's, not hers, as not many cared for her sneaky, venomous ways. I shed not one tear for she never acted the mother of my needs, only that of show for the neighbors and my father, who was the only one who wept. Grandmother knew, though, that was a problem. I liked her. No fool, her, my grandmother. She kept a close eye on me after that, and I knew enough then not to bring attention to my activities. We got along fairly well for a few more years, her and I, but as you've probably heard, these things tend to come in threes. When I was two and twenty, I wished to marry. 
The man I chose was most unsuitable, grandmother said. And since my father listened only to her, I was denied my wish. My love wed another. On their wedding day, as I walked through the graveyard to the church to give them my well wishes on the happy occasion, I happened upon the crows, all lined up on the headstone of one of the defunct whose epitaph one could no longer read. Three big black beasts with eyes that stared right into your soul. The clouds passed by, hiding the weak autumn sun, and a mist appeared to rise out of the ground. No sound did the birds make, nor I, transfixed as I was by their gaze. The judgment was clear, and I knew what had to be done. Funny how a little sugar goes a long way in making peace, and in covering the slight burnt almond taste in cakes or biscuits for that matter. It helps if you have a good hand in the art of bakery goods, knowing what flavor palettes to appease. I do, and it wasn't long before the bride was a bride no longer. We fair drowned in tears at the funeral. In fact, I found it rather vulgar. But I was there, consoling my love under the ever-watchful eye of my grandmother. I didn't care. I turned my chin up at her, but quickly lowered my head, daubing at my cheeks before turning my tear-welled eyes upon him, whom I admired. He, that gentle soul, saw my quivering lip and shared his grief with me. We wed in secret, after the appropriate waiting time, to the day. Does the appropriate waiting time really matter if it's secret? Grandmother weaseled her way into my childhood home, whereupon my husband and I had no choice but to set up our own household. Would she never give up? Was I doomed to hear the rustle of taffeta, the reeking smell of liniment she used to oil her old joints? See that weathered face and beady eyes look at me knowingly? I could no longer stand the sight of her or her high-pitched chattering. I had to do away with grandmother, but she would not go quietly into that long sleep. I plotted, I planned. Just as I'd done before, I poisoned her tea. Well, her sugar, really. The sugar bowl only she used, it being an heirloom from her grandmother's mother passed down to her. The little bowl made of white porcelain had dainty yellow flowers painted round the rim. Its lid, with a slot cut for the small spoon, also boasted the carnations. Tiny things, almost imperceptible due to the doling of age. They echoed how I felt. Disdain, rejection, and an almost imperceptible disappointment that grandmother wasn't as all-knowing as I'd once thought. Into this bowl went the granular sugar, now mingled with arsenic. No one else used the bowl but her, that beady-eyed, black-clad, taffeta-wearing old crone. Within no time at all, she was dead. Oh, what a beautiful morning it had been, too. All sunny, with a crow sitting on a branch of the heliotrope directly outside the open parlor window, his eyes so knowing as he looked upon the scene. Grandmother and I sat opposite one another. Our tea lay across the polished mahogany table. With all grace and flourish, I poured. Not one single drop did I spill. Although I was agog with nerves, my grandmother, the dame of all-knowingness, sat there with her back straight as a poker and as unyielding. However, I would not be daunted nor deterred from my task, 
and I took comfort in the bird who observed my ministrations with his imposing countenance. Not one caca sounded from him. Only silent approval did I notice. The tea poured. The doctored sugar spooned into her cup by her own hand, now dissolving nicely while we chatted. Briefly, I held my breath as she drank the ill brew. Would she notice a difference in taste, I wondered? Would she smell the almond upon the air and think it only from the flowers of the heliotrope outside? Would this be the final dose? I had been administering the poison for a week now and decided to up the amount of arsenic. It had been different with my beloved's first betrothed. I'd made her favorite baked good, the almond cakes only she liked. The arsenic and sugar mixed in the batter and baked to perfect little treats she alone would eat. I'd wanted to be sure, so the concentration of poison had been high. So high, in fact, it only took two to do the job. Since I couldn't have her round to our house, I gathered the treats in a diminutive basket lined with a tea towel and tied a ribbon around the handle. Humming, I'd walk the lane to my rival's house. Once arrived, I'd taken a breath before knocking and managed to keep a happy countenance when she exclaimed her surprise at seeing me and then adamantly invited me in for tea for two. But that was then, and now the thing I wanted most happened, quite quietly too. A widening of her eyes, a startled look at my face, then at the cup of tea in her hands. A quick sniff as she brought the cup up, then down to the saucer with a clink. A glance at the sugar bowl, a jerk of her hand, a spasm in her posture, a gasp out of her lips, the final breath escaping her body as her head slumped forward, her body gone slack, her bowels let loose. Her corset, the only thing keeping her otherwise limp body upright in the chair. Oh, how I savored the look of wide-eyed horror upon that leathery face. I sat, enjoying the rest of my tea, inhaling the scent of almonds as the breeze gently lifted the hair off the nape of my neck, I heard a rustling outside and turned to look. A murder of crows sat upon the sill, glaring at me with their black eyes, silent as death. They looked at me one by one. I could hear the converse of condemnation. They sat there, resplendent as ever. Their judgment final, I was doomed. Terrified, I slipped under the pie table as if I were 10 years old again trying to hide from them, but no use, as one by one the birds descended into the room. Black wings light upon the air. They settled silently. Not one sound, nor ruffle, of feather once they found a perch. Their beady black eyes narrowed at me, all of them. They surrounded me, judging, condemning, convicting, until the authorities came to take me. That's when I and the birds flew away. The end. If you enjoyed this work of fiction, please show your love by leaving a review. Never miss another story or poem by visiting loveletterstopoe.com forward slash join. And if you want the party to continue, I invite you to Prince Prospero's Masquerade over at patreon.com forward slash loveletterstopoe. Until next time. Embrace what lurks in the shadows. You never know what gothic adventure lay within.